everyone, and welcome to Radically Normal. I'm Andre, and I'm here with Michael, and on this episode, titled Good Wall Hunting, we're going to discuss the opposition to Nehemiah's work, the parallels to Jesus' ministry, and Nehemiah's preparation with prayer and action. I hope you enjoy the discussion. What's up, everybody? This is Michael. I'm here with Andre. How's it going, man? It's going good. You know, long morning, had class today before I got to start working on the podcast, but I'm glad to be here now. How about you, man? Just glad I'm not in a class for another couple weeks, but how's your class going? You know, it's just school. I, I don't really know how I feel about online school. I think on one hand, it's harder to not be around other people taking the same class, but I think the workload is definitely easier. But I'm kind of scared about the fall. I mean, I heard what happened to UT last night. Um, they're just ending classes after Thanksgiving break, I think, right? Wait. Yeah, I think I saw that. So they're just going to go to school in August, go till the end of November, the middle of November practically, and then they're done? Yeah, I think that's what's going on. I have no idea what my school is doing with that. I'm just kind of thankful I'm going to be working, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. I won't be working. I'll be back in Norman. But what OU is doing is kind of interesting. I haven't heard anything about the Thanksgiving, but they canceled all evening or any class that's in the evening they switch to online and any class that has over 40 people they switch to online as of now when we're recording so I had two mid-afternoon classes and they're both now at 7 p.m. or later into the night so that's kind of unfortunate dude that's crazy you want to get into Nehemiah though before we go on too long with this tangent yeah for sure let's dive in but I want to give something that some people may have been waiting for if anyone remembers at the end of our first episode in oh, Nehemiah, no. or not at the end, I think it was in the middle when I was talking about King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, Andre said that he might try to pronounce Artaxerxes at the end of the episode, and it never happened. So <laughs> why don't we give that a go now? Dude, this is going to be so bad, but I guess I'll give it a try. Uh, Artaxerxes? There we go. Yeah, and we just add some confidence to that, and we're all set. So today we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. Dude, actually, why don't you give some recap a little bit? Um about you know one to three what we've been going through so far yeah so just just as a recap the people of judah had been in exile for 70 years and in ezra by the thousands they were allowed to go back um thanks to the king of persia they were allowed to go back to jerusalem and they rebuilt the temple and then starting in nehemiah 1 we see nehemiah pray to god just asking for renewal asking for um success and asking for his new mission to work out. And then he talks with the king in chapter two. He's allowed to go back to Jerusalem. He inspects the walls, gives a charge to the people. And in chapter three, they start to build this wall that we're going to see. And in chapter four, which we're about to dive into, he faces some opposition. All right. You want to get us started or do you want me to give it the first go? Yeah, you got it. Kick us off. All right. I guess the very first thing that I saw was actually something pretty interesting. And it's kind of more of an overview of the first half of the chapter. But I saw that as um, Jerusalem started rebuilding its walls, it's talking about the threat of, surround, of surrounding people groups. And the really cool thing to me is that this threat level is just increasing. And you really see that how at the beginning, it says that people were jeering and they despised uh, the work that Nehemiah was doing. But later on, it, it talks about how other people were actually grouping together and they were very angry. And it says that they were plotting to come and fight against Jerusalem. And it seems to me like as the popularity and the success of Nehemiah was increasing, um, the opposition against them was also increasing. And this kind of just reminded me of the work of Jesus and Jesus' ministries and how as his popularity and his success and his work was growing and spreading throughout all the people, 
the opposition towards him was also increasing. And I thought that was like a really cool connection that we could make here. Just like as an overview of the first half of the chapter. It's crazy that you said that because right now I'm reading through Matthew 21 or I'm reading through Matthew in my morning Bible reading. And this morning I read Matthew 21, specifically the second half I was really focused in on. And it's kind of interesting because Jesus is, you know, proclaiming the gospel and then he goes into the temple and he's really just heated or he's pretty mad about what's going on in the temple and he's stirring up things there and then he heals people and the chief priests and the elders and the leaders and basically his whole opposition, the Pharisees, they come to him and say, by what authority are you doing this and who gave you the authority? And this is really similar to the end of Nehemiah chapter two, when Sanballat and Tobiah come to him and they are like, are you rebelling against the king? They're questioning where he got his authority to build the wall. Same thing with Jesus. Like you said, they're uh, constantly questioning his authority remember, and, and not knowing that Jesus had authority both, uh, or Jesus had authority from the Father. So it, it is really a parallel I think we can make between Nehemiah and Jesus here. I don't, I don't even think it's just Nehemiah and Jesus. The more I think of it, it's like so many different characters in the Bible, like such as like Daniel. Um, you could even make the argument that Moses, the more success he got um, speaking to Pharaoh, then Pharaoh became more and more angered at the end. Um, it just seems like it's everywhere. I don't know if you have any examples too, but I mean, I'm just seeing it like kind of everywhere. The more that someone tries to follow what God wants them to do and what's going to glorify God ultimately and his people, the more opposition they face from other people. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. You see Jesus tell us that, you know, you will be persecuted for my name's sake. The world will hate you. And then here we see, you know, as the text has been going on, whether it be chapter two or now chapter four, you see like Sanballat and Tobiah being angry. But then in verse seven, which we're going to get to, but in verse 7, it says the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites basically joined into that opposition. The Arabs were in the south, the Ammonites were in the east, the Ashdodites were in the west. So this is like a sizable growth in the opposition. So let's take it a little bit back to towards the beginning so we don't miss anything. But something really cool that I saw and just honestly just reminds me of um, what they say at the church my parents go to is that prayer should be a first response and not a last resort. And you really see Nehemiah. Um, just show this here when as soon as he starts facing even the smallest bit of mockery and opposition at the very beginning the first thing he does is he, he begins to pray and I know that he took action as well we're gonna see he takes action but he really begins to pray and I actually had a question didn't quite make too much sense to me about this but I'm just reminded of how when Jesus was crucified um, you see him like ask God to forgive the people who put him on the cross even the people who are next to him but this is like really different from what we see in Nehemiah's prayer where he's kind of telling God that the people are opposing him and kind of it's more of like an aggressive prayer, it seems like. Yeah, so in just in case anybody's driving or doesn't have the text in front of them, I'll just read verses four and five. He, Nehemiah's praying. He says, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. That's what you're talking about, right? Yeah, exactly. Okay, yeah, so I was really reading this and thinking, what do we make of prayers like these? It's so different from Jesus's Father, forgive them. And it's actually just like Psalm 109, where uh, David is praying and or crying out to God and about the wickedness that's coming against David. And he is saying to God, cut off the memory of them from the earth. Let their prayer be known as sin. He's really praying for vengeance and vindication. 
and so here, just in the same way, I have I have a couple commentaries around me, and I found these to be particularly helpful with tough questions like this because it feels like it's kind of the question that you'd almost be afraid to ask because you know it's in the Bible, so why would I question it? But this is kind of where we can grow. What do we make of prayers like this? So I, I really learned a lot. The first thing was that since Nehemiah was so clearly led to God, led by God to do this work to restore the identity of the Jews with the wall, opposition to the work was opposition to God. So it wasn't rooted in Nehemiah being personally offended, but that God's work was mocked. And then the second thing, and I'm specifically just going to quote for the uh, beauty of the language here, the new Bible commentary on Nehemiah, uh, this prayer. And the commentator, the writer says, the sentiments he expressed have been superseded for the Christian for whom the work of Christ has provided an assurance of the final victory of love, which Nehemiah could not possibly have known. And for me, that was like a pretty final answer. And I don't even know if I can add anything to it. I feel like it put it really well. So does that help with the prayer maybe? I think, yeah, it just kind of really just contrasted how later on in the New Testament specifically, we see how Jesus says to like love your enemies. And he really emphasizes the importance of love. So I guess there's a little bit of that contrast of like before Jesus came and then after and I guess Nehemiah didn't really know what was going to happen later on. So makes sense. Yeah, for sure. But then it, then it is interesting. Um, and I know you think, I know, I think you said you have something to add here, but in verse nine, then he says after Sanballat and the Arabs and everyone gets angry and they kind of come together and plot, they pray to their God and they begin to take action. So that's a different prayer, but what would you say about that prayer? Perhaps? I mean, the first thing I noticed about this one is he prayed. And if you look a little bit farther ahead, um, to the to verse 14 um, Nehemiah does say remember that the Lord is great and awesome and even though he's praying and he knows that there's like a great opposition coming um, he still reminds the people that God is great and awesome and so you see those two things but then you also see that Nehemiah has them all take action and it kind of shows that when you pray and then you even you know God is awesome you still have to take some action and you still have to do something do, take an action that God can work through to, for his plans to, to flourish. And like, if you want to be for in this case it's so that Nehemiah can be protected. And so those people can be protected, but just praying about it may not have just been the only thing he had to do. Yeah. I just love, um, Nehemiah's charge in verse 14 that you mentioned about, uh, God being great and awesome because it, it echoed completely his prayer in chapter one, where he says the great and awesome God who, works in steadfast love, and he begins to talk in covenantal language there. So I thought that was really good. It sounds like the exact same prayer, almost the exact same words. And what's really cool about that, when he's telling his people, remember that God is great and awesome, he's essentially telling them, don't think of fighting by your own might. Remember the power of Yahweh, your personal God, who's great and awesome and can fight for you. And then he says, fight for your brothers, your sons, and so forth. And he's making an emotional appeal there. Fight for your family, fight for your kindred, those close to you, and we're all in God's family together. And the reason why he had he ended up saying this, part of it was that in verse 10, it says that the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. So we know that the wall is like halfway built now, and the people are starting to like lose, I don't know if lose faith, but they're definitely starting to lose their strength and their willingness to keep working. And Nehemiah is really reminding them the importance of their work. And the really cool thing here is that all of the actions he's taken in uh, practicing like good leadership and also practicing um, good planning skills, organization skills. This is like 
built a lot of confidence in the people of Jerusalem, in Nehemiah, as a leader and as a man of God. And so it's really just instilled that confidence that makes them want to keep following him, even when their strength begins to fail. Yeah, I love what you said, tying Nehemiah's leadership to the confidence of the people, because in verse 14 again, he says, do not be afraid of them, saying, don't be afraid of the enemies. This is God's frequent Old Testament and New Testament command to his people. Just to give an example, in Joshua 1, he tells Joshua, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then in Matthew 14, when Jesus is walking on the water and the disciples think out at sea that he's a ghost, he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. So we really see God constantly reminding his people, do not be afraid. And Nehemiah is giving the same advice. This is godly leadership basically wrapped up in a hole right here. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And it's definitely, I mean, always even in regular things of not associated with um, Christian leadership, but just leadership in general, it's always easier to follow someone who has a plan, who has an organized um, method of what they want to do. And so that's honestly really good leadership skills just in any case. Um, as we keep going on, though, um, do you want to move on to the second half of chapter four or do you have anything else for the first half? No, I think that's good. And it's a good place to pick up. And I like that the, it's a new section here because then he says, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we don't really see God scatter them or destroy the enemies or anything like that. Instead, we have to realize what the frustration means. And that goes back to verse 11. Our enemies said they won't know or see till we come among them and kill them. So what this is meaning is God frustrated their plan by not making their plan a secret anymore since Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem knew what was happening, it was no longer a secret plan, and therefore the plan was frustrated. And another thing to keep in mind, at least that I saw, was that this wasn't just like a small group of people who was trying to oppose them. It was obviously an enemy that instilled a lot of fear because, I mean, even before we saw that the people kept their clothes on, their like fighting, I guess, clothes on at all times, um, always kept swords in their hands. Here we see that um, half of them were working on construction and half of them were holding spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And they were just honestly protecting themselves even as they worked. So they were, at least the people were obviously afraid of their enemy. And it was an enemy that could definitely cause a lot of harm. Yeah, for sure. So you just read from verse 16. Verse 17, it says, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that Basically, they could do labor in one hand and held his weapon with the other. I can't help but think, even if the people are afraid, some people had to think that Nehemiah was crazy. They're supposed to be working with one hand, supposed to be carrying something, and then they're also supposed to have their weapon. So I just think that some people might have been like, so at this man, point, is this too much? It's safe to assume they were outnumbered, too, if everyone who was working was also holding a sword in the other hand. I mean, it's safe to say they were outnumbered, and they are all spread out across the whole wall, and they had to have... A whole trumpet situation going on in case of an attack came so they could all go back to one point yeah they were definitely all spread out and the trumpeter was there so that they could quickly rally in that point and it's kind of interesting that it's a trumpet just because throughout the bible you see trumpets used to be associated with judgment and deliverance whether that be in the book of revelation or thinking about joshua and the, bo- the battle at jericho but it's interesting that it's a trumpet but yes the trumpet was definitely used as a rally cry of sorts just to bring all the people back together so they're definitely spread thin but nehemiah was definitely really committed to the wall because man he kept going and made sure everyone could work and defend at the same time yeah exactly and i guess eventually if anyone did it which in this chapter they don't attack but if anyone ever did attack 
the he was going to sound a trumpet and everyone's going to come to the same place, which further shows that he had a plan even while building this wall. Um, and also shows how even as everyone was so afraid, Nehemiah was a voice of calm and a voice of reason um, saying that God will fight for them and telling them, reminding them how important the work is and keeping everyone on task and um, praying for for the whole um, project. So, I mean, he was obviously a very good leader. Yeah, I really think this is a good transition point in the story just because they began the wall. But then here in chapter four, we get to opposition to the work and Nehemiah's response and them being always prepared. We see at the very end of the chapter, him saying that, you know, nobody took off our clothes. Everyone kept their weapon at their, their right hand. So basically he's responding to this opposition. Then in chapter five, he's going to run into an economics problem with a famine. And then in chapter six is when they finally finish the wall. So it's kind of interesting that there's these disruptions in the story while Nehemiah is still really just trying to get the wall done. Yeah. And I think that's all I really have for chapter four. Do you have anything else? Yeah. I just want to add one thing that I was confused about. And after doing some research, I was illuminated if you might, you might say, but it, my first thought when I read verse 22, Nehemiah is saying, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they might be a guard at night and labor by day. It wasn't that everyone was just, I thought, man, everyone's going to be exhausted if they have to guard at night. It wasn't so. It was that a lot of people slept in rural communities outside of the city, so they would be constantly going in and out of the gates. And what we're seeing here is that if they were going in and out of the gates at night or in the early morning, People could, enemies could sneak in with them or they'd be at greater danger if people were constantly going in and out. So he's trying to keep more people or all people inside the gates. But besides that, that's really it. And I'm excited to dive into chapter five where we're going to see Nehemiah face another problem and the great leader that the great leader with the dependence on God that he has, he's going to overcome that one as well. I mean, I guess now that we're done with chapter four, it is, it's safe to say that Nehemiah will be ready for that one interview question you know, the one that goes like, uh, tell us about a time when you faced a difficult challenge and how you overcame it. You know, I was never really good at that one, but it seems like Nehemiah would have had it down. You know, I think, I think I have the answer for you. Just for some background, Andre and I went running like a month ago. You could talk about how the opposition to your fitness is you running a mile. Dude, you know, the problem with that is that I don't really have a resolution because I actually quit running, but don't worry. Now I bike, which is a little bit better. But the reason for my biking is actually, honestly, to overcome an obstacle as well. Um, when I was in Atlanta the last time, my roommates decided to take me on an approximately 40-mile biking trip from my apartment all the way to Stone Mountain, which is like 20 miles there and 20 miles back. And I honestly was not ready for that. So I've been doing about 10 miles every other day to try to build up some endurance so I don't you know, hold back their uh, fast times anymore and can actually keep up next time I try to do it. Dang, that's really impressive. If you know me, you know I'm really into fitness and working out, but honestly, lately I've been so demotivated to work out. I don't even want to do anything. I've ran like once in the last week, but from when we're recording right now, LA Fitness is supposed to open in about 10 or 11 days, so I should be back on that soon. Dude, you know what's really cool? Uh, My dad and I are actually working on this project to like build a kind of a gym in our garage. So maybe I'll get to work out a little more from there. I don't know how going to gyms is going to feel yet with all of everything going on, you know? I think I'm going to have to get back to the gym or my dad and I both will because we're going to Canada at the end of July to do some mountain climbing. 
and we're going to be in shape for rock climbing and long hikes. So I'm definitely, regardless of the germs or anything, I'll be back at the gym. Dude, hopefully the bike riding is going to help me if we end up going on that hiking trip and camping trip. I don't know. I don't know how well that relates, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see, but we definitely need, or if you're into mountain climbing, you know you need fitness to get to the top. And in this story today, we saw Nehemiah face opposition, and this was one of the mountains he had to climb on the way to building the wall. So thanks for tuning in to this episode about Nehemiah chapter four, and we'll see you next time. And with that cheesy conclusion, this is Mike and Andre signing off.